This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Essentials Program here in Nation Torah, your Shalom. Uh, this week we're doing True Spirituality, and we've been kind of digging deep. Uh, we started with a little more personal work just to get ourselves out of the way, because we're the ones in the way from True Spirituality. And we've also spoken about alignment and connection and how just because you aligned with something doesn't mean you're connected to it. And uh, just like spouses can be aligned and do all the right things and avoid the wrong things, but it doesn't mean they're connected. They have to actually spend time to connect. Uh, you know, after our class yesterday, I phoned my wife at the house and I said, I said, you know, you probably made dinner, but would you meet me for a bowl of soup? And she said, yeah. And we met at a vegan restaurant and we sat across from each other, like totally out of the blue, not at all in the program. And there we were, connecting. So, you know, I was doing all the right things. I would have been home on time, everything would have been done right. But there was nothing like a little time for the two of us, totally uh, spontaneous. Anyway, so that's, that's uh, alignment and connection. Jews have the patent on alignment, like the do's and don'ts. Like, no one, no one in the world has more do's and don'ts how to align than we do. But when it comes to connection, that's universal. We don't have the patent on, on connection. Every human being in the world is created in the image of God and is, and is, is one thought away from their next spiritual connection moment. Should I say that again? Every human being in the world is created in the image of God and they are one thought away from their next spiritual connection with God. And what do I mean by one thought away? One thought away meaning one thought away to get rid of the thought. Because it's usually our thinking that's in the way. So you're one thought away, meaning that thought that you need to, like, just say hi to it. You ever played the high thought game? Let me teach you the high thought game. Okay, you know how your heart beats involuntarily and your lungs breathe involuntarily? Well, your mind thinks involuntarily. Your mind is always thinking. Thousands of thoughts a day. When I was in university, they said we think some, uh, some uh, I think they said 6,000 thoughts a day. Then I heard... Then later research was like 20, then 30. Now here we, they think we think 60,000 thoughts a day. So like 30,000, 60,000. I think the 30,000 group wasn't Jewish. But 60,000, I think, is the Jewish group. But we, we think a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's our own worst enemy. Um, we, we tend to trust our thinking, which is like, since when are you Einstein to be trusting all those thoughts? 60,000 of them. I mean, you don't think one or two slip in that are crazy, you know? But we all think, well, since that thought happened in my head, it must have some resemblance to truth. When in fact, no, that's just your brain on thoughts. You ever seen, like, your brain on drug commercial where it shows a pan, frying pan, and an egg fries in it? And, like, this is your brain on drugs? So when you think thoughts, this is your brain on thoughts. And it's just a frying egg in there. And think about it. If you were born 100 feet over from the house you were born in, or 100 miles over from the house you were born in, you would have had a completely different context, and which would be totally different thinking. You would have wound up thinking totally differently. So your thoughts are the most arbitrary thing in the world. Certainly nothing you should be taking seriously. Unless, of course, you're just trying to cross the street, and there's Israeli bus drivers driving back and forth, and they're zooming by in their egged bus. If your thoughts say, look both ways... Great. If your thoughts say, hey, what kind of strategy could I prepare to feed my family financially with? 
So, great. If your thoughts are saying, hmm, the last time I was in a situation like this, you know, I got hurt. So, let me be a little careful. Those are good thoughts. Those are good thoughts. But a barrage of 60,000 thoughts a day, you know how many thoughts that is in your waking hours? What's 60,000 divided by 17? Thanks. Let's make it easier. What's 60,000 divided by 20? 3,000. So let's say some 2,700 thoughts. An hour. Don't believe your thoughts. So let's do the exercise. I'm going to take your right hand. Say hi. Hi. Okay, take your right hand. Yo, right hand, bro. Right hand. Okay, everyone say hi to your involuntary beating heart. Say hi, heart. Everyone say hi to your lungs. Hi, lungs. And then everyone say hi to your thoughts. Hi, thoughts. Now say, not, not going there. Not taking that train of thought. It's going to the Bronx. Yeah? That train of thought's going to a dangerous neighborhood. And you don't want to take that train. Okay. So that is, anyway, so we spoke a bit about this week about that. And what we're going to do today is to talk about, talk about what it is when we say the word God. What are we talking about when we say the word God? And I'll let you know right away that God is my favorite name of all those Kabbalistic names. You know, there's a lot of Kabbalistic names of God. And I do a lot of meditation on those names. Other particular people do a lot of meditation on those names. And doing meditation on the names of God, like, I can't tell you anything cooler than that. Like, you set aside 15 minutes, you come out two hours later. And you're like, what happened? Names of God, meditations are the highest in the world. I, I can't imagine there's anything higher. And but if there was, I'd literally be doing that. So I, I'm I'm on a roll. But let me tell you, the favorite name of God, if I can share it with you, is the word God. G dash D. You know why? Because it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. The human mind cannot help but construct concepts. The human mind is stuck conceptually. It's always trying to create a concept out of something. But if you think about a concept, a concept, even of God, is going to, by nature, be limited. A concept must be limited by nature. Why? Because a concept is going to include certain things and not include others. Meaning, for example, dark is an existence, but it also is a concept of dark. But dark's not light. It's not going to include light. It's going to be dark. It's going to be the absence of light. And light is not dark. And love is not fear, and fear is not hate, and hate is not warmth. Every concept has a, a parameter that eventually is beyond its concept. It's beyond the definition. So it's not just things have definitions like the word eraser, but concepts are defined. Whereas God is without definition. God has no definition. It's not something that any of us will ever, ever, ever understand. And you're ready for this? You're not even going to know anything about it. In its essence. Meaning, we, it's on a need-to-know basis. Meaning, whatever God's released about himself, that's available. But, but how do you know he's released that just for us, but some other planet and some other galaxies got something else released? Maybe they had a different press release. It's God. God 
time can give whatever press release he chooses. I mean, certainly, we can sense by the weather outside, there's a, there's a kindness, there's a, the creation itself has flowers, and I think I even grabbed a little lavender on my way out. Where is that lavender? Oh, yeah. This is where I keep all my goods. <laughs> Get you guys high or something. Okay. Yeah. So there are hints. God's giving a lot of hints. Anyone who's seen the Swiss house, you know, that's more than a hint. You know, God's, God's definitely letting us know there's stuff going on. There's, there's a bit of wrath. You know, there's some hardcore stuff that takes place. There's, there's some beautiful kindness. But again, that's our planet. Who says, that doesn't tell you who God is. That just tells you what God wants us to know. I mean, there's certain things that I get in situ- don't we all get in situations where we have to wear a hat that's not a natural hat to who we are? You know, you get to an event or something and you're like, it's just not an event you would ever have chosen to go to, but it's your uncle's whatever. And so you'll wear a hat for a couple of hours. How do we know God's not just wearing this hat for this particular planet? And the answer is, what do you think the Kabbalists say? He's just wearing a hat, or this is actually a hint towards his essence? What do you say? Hint. Hint towards his essence? I wish I wish you were right. No, it's, a, it's just a hat. We have no idea what this is. We don't know what it is. And you want to know something amazing about that is, it's, it's pretty cool. Because that means all of us can believe in it. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or an atheist. The same lack of possible conceptual definition of whatever created this thing is going to be the same for the atheist or for the believer. You get that? We all have that in common. We're all automatically within the realm of, of God as soon as we stop making it into a concept. I mean, it's almost like God created, man created God in man's image. Because we're so busy, one sec, we're so busy with, you know, like, our man concept of God that we're creating God in our image. Wow. Can we let go of creating God in our image? Hmm. And just let God be God? And we don't even know what that means. That's why I love the name, is that it doesn't mean anything. Which is as close to God as you can get. Because if it doesn't mean anything, so it must be very close to lack of definition. And so what a great symbol, G-D, or G-O-D. It's also one more, oh, you got good. Good guy. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. I have a question. Yes. So if God is an abstract concept and not personified, then why uh, do you keep referring to God as, as a he and not as an it? Excellent. What, uh, you, thank you so much. What's your name? Melanie. Melanie, hi, where are you My from? My sister's name is Melanie. I'm in Amsterdam. Amsterdam, cool. Amazing. You moved to Amsterdam. From where? You sound like you're from. Yeah, you sound like you're American. <coughs> cool, cool. I, I just met a doctor from Holland in the spa just now. Yeah. <laughs> is Holland where Christiania is, or is that Denmark? No, that's Den- Denmark. Denmark, right? It's that. It's, it's this little town of anarchists that seceded in Copenhagen, the capital of Denmark. There's a there's a like a about a thousand hippies that seceded from the state of Denmark in the capital 
you literally cross a little border and you're in a lawless land called Christianity or free stopped or something like that. Anyway, cool place to go. Not great for the brain cells. Now, the um, so she asked, why is if the rabbi is saying there's absolutely no personification of God, why do why does the rabbi keep referring to God in the masculine? What's up with that? I mean, God doesn't have genitalia, and if he did, it'd be really scary. No, no, we can only call it heat. There's a reason I called it heat. Yeah. Can you ladies slide over a teeny bit? Because uh, this guy Nathan keeps blocking your... Yeah. Oh, okay. Much better. Yeah. Okay. So, the reason why we refer to God in the masculine has to do with uh, mystical traditions, which Judaism is amongst the ancient tribal mystics. Yeah. And so... The mystical traditions always has masculine as a causer of flow and feminine as a receiver of flow. Causer, receiver, causer, receiver, causer, receiver. And it's not only does do all mystics have it, but everything around you has it. There's nothing in this room but the masculine and the feminine. That's all there is. Every single thing you're looking at is either masculine or feminine, but they're usually together, um, you know, kind of as both. So, for example, this that I made a blessing on is either masculine or feminine, obviously. And these trees that cut the wood of your tables was masculine or feminine. Every human being in here has either been created with the masculine uh, genitalia or feminine genitalia. Um, although each human beings and probably other animals have men and female in them. My female's strong. Uh, my man is trained man. My female is more my na- nature. That's why I'm into meditation and spirituality because my feminine side's well-developed. And the... And I'm also, you know, my daughters come to me <laughs> to talk, you know, because I, what do you think naturally I'm going to find a more feminine woman or a more masculine woman? Masculine. More masculine woman. So, so I'm, the balance. Yeah, so I'm a bit, I'm a bit of mommy at the house. And the, and she's an amazing mommy, believe me. Oh my gosh. Anyone who knows my wife knows she's mommy. But, uh, but, the, but even my daughters will speak out the stuff that teens speak out with me. And, the um, anyway, anyway, but everything, but everything's masculine and feminine. The, the the phone is being held by something that's feminine, and the phone's the masculine. But the phone itself's the feminine because it's holding my screen, which is a glass piece, which is the masculine. And the and the cup that is the feminine is holding the water, which just goes with the flow, you know. It's got the flow to it, which is the masculine. And the door is being held by a masculine-feminine hinge system. And so are the windows. And the frame of the windows mask feminine and the windows feminine. And your clothing and my buttons. And there's the, your chairs are being held together by a whole system that is masculine and feminine. There, and the metal frame of your chair was once in a feminine mold that created that they poured masculine molten metal into to create your chair. And there's nothing but that. Now, I don't want to freak you guys out and have you all walk out of here just going like... (laughs) 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 Now, Now, the creation itself, creation itself is going to be called, take a guess, is it receiving something or is it causing something? The creation 
It's receiving something. So, so in mystical tradition, the physical world is always called in the feminine. All, always called in the feminine. So we're all really feminine. Even us men in the room that are, that are of masculine genitalia are actually feminine as well. Because we're all on the take here. None of us are causing anything. You know, God lets us for six days pretend we cause something. You know, what do you think Shabbos is? Shabbos is, another way of saying Shabbos is, let's stop pretending that you actually did anything in your whole asserting yourself on this world. Mm-hmm. You know, marking every lamppost you walk by, you know, like a cocker spaniel. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just stop pretending. You know, get your, get your fingers off that little crackberry. And, uh, and like, let's just be together. Like, I'm causing all this. You've been. I let you take six days mm-hmm. to go knock yourself out, as if anyone's going to remember you a hundred years from now. Something that generally, interestingly, doesn't bother women so much. But men, like, there's not a man in this room who's not going to start crying when I say no one's going to remember you in a hundred years from now. Me either. <laughs> me either. There were rabbis much bigger than me, running whole regions of Europe. Over a hundred years ago, and and none of us have any clue who they are. And think who 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 is your great 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 I don't know how many great grandparents. You know what they do? What were their names? And if anything, we might got their name. Like maybe we got the name coming down the line, but that's about all we got. So anyway, so now who's running the place? Who's running the place is this unknowable impersonable thing that is in endlessly beyond all concept. But vis-a-vis us, it's causing and we're receiving. It's causing, we're receiving it. And that's why we always refer to God, not always, but almost always refer to God in the masculine. We have exceptions. The exceptions are when you want to give God. When do you, can you give God anything? So you can give God something. You know what you can give God? You can give gratitude to God. So when we give gratitude, we actually change the, the grammar to the feminine. And we say, for example, modim anachnu lach. We call God lach, which is feminine, right? Lachaz you in masculine. And lach is to the, is to the feminine. So when we, and it's really a specific modim, there's two very strong modims, because one of them we bow before him. Mm-hmm. And we say modim and and we go 90 degrees, meaning all the way down to the last vertebrae. We go, we go full, you know, flat. And we're supposed to actually have in mind we're on the floor, but it's inconvenient. And, they, and we go flat like that, and we say modim anachnolach, calling God the feminine, because we're saying, please wear a masculine hat so I can give back my gratitude for my having been created. And it goes on and on about all the things we're giving thanks for. Um, also, the other holy time we say, call God in the feminine, is benching. In Birkat Hamazon, the blessing after bread meals, which is one of these super holy Kabbalistic things we do. And by the way, I just want to mention that a lot of people don't know this. You're supposed to do it with joy. No, I'm serious. I, I was just studying the Kabbalah on, on the blessing after the meal. It, I don't know how many times I mentioned the word doing it with joy, but it didn't even mention it without adding the word with joy. So it was all this Kabbalistic stuff of what happens when you do it. 
But every time he brought back the word blessing again, it was always bismcha, bismcha. It never skipped. It was like bismcha, which makes you start to wonder, like, wait, if I don't do a bismcha, then all this Kabbalah stuff, it's not going to happen. So it's got to be with joy. Blessing after the meals with joy. Um, you want to hear something amazing? All the Kabbalistic stuff that was brought down that happens when you bless with joy, it, at the end of the whole thing, it says, and by the way, you should know, that on Shabbat, that stuff that you just studied about what happens when you make a blessing after a meal with joy, that all that stuff happens with your taste buds on Shabbat. Everything that comes down for the blessing after the meal during the weekdays and Shabbat comes down into the world through your taste buds when you taste Shabbos food every week. Taste buds. Yeah. So Shabbat's very special. It's also brought in Kabbalah. Just since this might interest you guys, is that um, is that the way you raise food? Because think about it, this whole world's being projected from higher. So there's these parallel realms that it's coming down from. Anyone who's been on plant medicines knows what I'm talking about. That there's like there's realms of of where you can transport yourself into, you know, other realms. They're all still close to our realm. They're not that far off. They're not nothing to do with like where your soul goes when you when when you die is like that's a whole other story and you know that wouldn't be you have to be kind of born back into a person who can't speak for his first three years to come from there you go there and you come back it's better you're not going to be talking much because you're going to freak people out and and once in a while by the way there are little ones who say some crazy stuff that somehow have that third eye opened still at that point you know which is rare now all those parallel worlds is where everything comes from and so so like uh, anyone have a piece of fruit here you got a piece of fruit oh, thank you so much he's got a battery he's got a piece of fruit <laughs> whoa where'd you get that bro market which market Oh, like a street market. Yeah. Jewish Quarter? Or, uh... I don't know. I have like a 40-minute walk in the morning. Oh. Does it smell good? Well, I haven't eaten. You can smell it. But uh, in Israel, we have these tithes we have to take, so... I, I mean, it's 99% chance it was tithe. But I'm not going to eat it. Okay, here we go. You ready? The, um... This tangerine has an angelic tangerine. I mean, like, like literally. <sighs> so funny. Is it to scale? Oh, <laughs> it's a pouring costume for that. So what happens is, how? I mean, how is it possible in a world created? completely through spirituality. I'll do it just for a second because there's a lot of new people here, so just to, to give you the four-second proof of God and then you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, you've heard the four-second proof of God. Did I ever give you the four-second? You ever heard the four? Um, just real quick, just to get it down, is that what does nothing make? Meaning if I sealed a bottle with nothing in it, buried it, what would be in there in a hundred years? Nothing. Nothing. What would be in it? 
Nothing. About 200 years. Th- thousand years? Billion years? Nothing. What does nothing make? Nothing. What does nothing make? Excellent. So, before there was something, what was there? Before the creation, meaning before there was any physicality, before the Big Bang, before whatever you hold by. But before the world, before the universe expanded, what was there? Nothing. 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 Now, ready for this? Before there was something, there was nothing. And since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be the nothing was God. Mm-hmm. I'll say it again. Before there was something, there was nothing. nothing. And since nothing makes nothing. nothing, and now that there's something. So we're going to give a name to the nothing, which is how this class started. We're going to give a name to that nothing. Not that it could ever have a name, because names are also <clears throat> defined. That's the beauty of the word God, because it has no definition. It doesn't mean anything. That's how we started this class. So before there was not something, there was nothing. And since nothing makes nothing, so the propensity of nothing would have been to stay nothing. Not that there was a timeline. But you get that? There's no timeline there. There's no such thing as time. Do you think God makes time? Do you think God makes time? We do. Does God, does God create time? Time's in the Torah. What do you mean it's in time? It like explains things chronologically, right? Oh, chronology, yes. Well, he, he gave us, I just remember the, um, the blessings of the new moon, that was when he gave, that was our relationship with him to create. Yeah, you know, our job is to mark time. We mark time. But does, does God do time? Like someone who does windows, does God do time? God doesn't do time. God's infinite beyond time. Well, you might say, well, when he makes a creation, maybe he creates time too. Does God create time? Also not. No, this whole creation, well, let's go, let's go a little deeper. Before there was something, there was nothing, and nothing makes nothing, so since there's now something, so it must be that nothing made this place. Now, if all there was was nothing, what did God use to create the world? I mean, this world's made of stuff. There's, there's stuff here. So where'd the stuff come from? If all there was was God. Himself. No, before that even. Before, Yeah, you're right. No, this stuff's all made of the 22 letters. The Rala. The 231. This whole world, the physical world, is made of 231 uh, subpositions of calculated math. It's all formulas. By the way, they know this now. Do you know about this? Have you guys mm-hmm. YouTube this? No. They, they, there's math, mathematicians who basically have been studying the universe and have finally realized there's, there's formulas. We've always known their formulas. It's called the Rala. Rala is Resh, Lamed, Aleph. Resh, Lamed, and Aleph. Resh is 200. Lamed is 30. And Aleph is a, a, 1. 231. There's, two, there's an algorithm of Aleph, Bet, Aleph, Gimel, Aleph, Dalet, Aleph, and then Bet, Aleph, Bet, Gimel. You know an algorithm of, of those. So when you go through them all, it comes to 231. And the entire creation is made of those 231 letters, which are numbers. You know our letter systems are numbers. We don't have numbers. Numbers are human constructs. Uh, numbers in, uh, in Judaism are the letters. And so 
the Rala is what this place is made of. It's made of these 231 intersecting, substitutionalizing, you know, exponentially weaving our, the fabric of creation. Now, is that happening in time? Is that happening in time? Is that happening in time? No. There's no time passage. God doesn't actually do time. He creates the world from himself into existence at all time. But from our perspective, I mean, what's a, what, are, what's a, what is a thousand nows from your perspective? Time. A thousand nows that led up to now, and you know it probably will lead up to tomorrow. That's time. But what part is God involved in? He's only creating this moment at all times. That's, that's the only reality there is. There is nothing else. And this is where joy comes from. Joy comes from living that. If you can live in this moment, so then you're all set. I mean, is everyone feeling okay right now? Sure. Now, what if I were... What if I were... What if I needed to take blood right now? <laughs> you know, I was an, a doctor and, uh, or a nurse, and I'm like, yeah, we're just doing blood tests. There'll be a little prick. You know, is everything fine as that needle hits your skin for, for a blood test? Is everything fine? Yeah. It is. Have you ever noticed how quickly it goes? What was the hardest part about the pinprick? Before. Before. Mm-hmm. Thinking about it. Thinking about it was pretty rough. It happens kind of quick. So I don't even think you have time in that amount. I don't think our brains are quick enough to even really... It's like kosher slaughter. You know, they've already checked. They have, they have the... Today we have the technology to, you know, put obviously full brain monitors on a, like massive high-tech brain monitors on a cow to see if the timing of the cup windpipe can get to the pain center of the brain. So we know, we know that it doesn't. We also know that Gentiles, when they slaughter meat, we know that it does much worse than that. And I suggest anyone who's not keeping kosher, if you can be vegetarian, you should be vegetarian. But I would not touch meat. That was it. Meaning, forgetting about the Jewish aspect, I'm just saying, on a moral aspect, yeah. like all you do, you have no business touching meat that wasn't kosher and slaughtered. I'd say it to a Gentile. And Gentiles should be eating kosher meat. <laughs> it would certainly make our meat a hell of a lot cheaper. <laughs> but we got all the Gentiles eating kosher meat. And the other option is vegetarianism. Like, it could just be vegetarian. How much meat do you need, anyway? If any, you know. Today, you can just eat your chia seeds. Just don't forget a toothpick. I forgot to put the yogurt. So all there is is God, and God creates the world out of himself, because that's all there was. And all the world is just the unfolding of infinite and the finite. I mean, think about this. This is just infinite, like, infinite, like, unfolding into finite at all times. That's all that's happening, is the infinite's unfolding into the finite. And, and what happens is, in the Rala, the 231 gates are calculations going on that eventually weave and weave and weave and in their weavings the actual 
coils of copper, so to speak. They're not physical. But the actual copper coils coming down, which are made of the letters, meaning they're made of those numbers, which are the letters, as the coils come down, that those coils themselves, meaning every micrometer of it, is made of a non-substantive, non-time-bound thing that in, I can't give an English translation to it, that's why I'm using like copper coils and stuff, called in Hebrew, malachim. It's called malachim. Everyone try the word malachim. 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 And malachim are the actual, they are the actual weaving of the, like meaning if you could somehow grab a, a cross-section of it and just have it, you'd be holding malachim. Those are malachim. And the, I'm stating it in plural, but every little micrometer of it is, is a malach. Now, those malachim are connected to the power source, which is the king, king of all reality. They're connected to the power source. And that power source, because um, they're connected to it, they can see it, so to speak. They don't have eyes, but they, so to speak, they're aware of it. And not only are they aware of it, but they're drawn towards it. Just like any of us would, you know, if you saw something happen in the corner of the room, everyone's eyes would go there. So we're, you'd be drawn towards it. And they're all drawn towards it. But the funny thing is, is the second they look up towards it, guess what happens? The second they look towards it, they get a message. Now, you will notice that when you look at the book of Genesis and you open that up, you'll notice there, there are all these words that say, let there be. Let there be light, let there be vegetation, let there be... There's all these let there be's. I'll tell you how many there are. There are nine. Because the first of them is actually the word Bereshit in the beginning. Bereshit. Genesis. The word Bereshit is the first. And then there's nine let there be's. Now, those let there be's are actually... They start weaving together in the Ralah, coming down the systems... And there's a realm called Berea where they're, they're totally um, holographic by nature. And then, I don't know if you know what that means, but everything's within everything's within everything. So mineral would be within vegetable, which would be into animal. And it's all woven there. It's holographic. If you know anything about holographic plates there, do you know holographic? You've heard of a hologram. So that being projected, a hologram is being projected from what's called a holographic plate. Holographic plates are non-locational, a-location. Meaning every, did you know every millimeter of a holographic plate that projects holograms? Every millimeter has all the info. I do. Yeah. So if I like cut a slide in half, like remember, have you ever seen a slide? It was a way of producing pictures. Okay. So if you cut a slide in half, you only get half the image. But if you cut a holographic plate all the way, like let's say it's a giant holographic plate that's going to be a picture of, I don't know, Bose of the Clown. Yeah. And... It's going to be a 3D image of Bose of the Clown. If you cut the whole thing away and you only are left with one inch by one inch of it and you shine a laser through it, Still you know what you're going to get? All of Bose of the Clown. Just very low resolution. It's a-locational. It's mind-boggling what that means because every bit of info is in every millimeter of it. That's what Berea is. That, the Rala is going through that. And that's what I meant by the vegetables within the mineral, within the animal. Everything's together. But then you get to this major break 
and you move into this totally other realm that's closer to our realm, although none of this is anywhere near here, but, the, but there's another realm that's closer towards us where it actually splits from hologram, and, it, and then the let there be vegetations get split off, and the let there be animals get split off, and let there be the minerals split off, and then let there be the whole creation gets split into its category, and then it just starts cruising down and cruising down. Now, remember, we're just talking about the coil. And the Malach wants to connect to God, but the God just keeps saying, tangerine, tangerine. And the Malach's like, God, tangerine, God, tangerine. Now, it's not God telling him, it's the Malach above him. You understand? It's got a Malach, one micrometer above him. And it just keeps going, God, tangerine, God, tangerine. And the prophets that, seen, that have seen this during prophecy said that it was happening at the speed of lightning. Why? Only because it was the fastest thing they ever saw. So they had to use some kind of analogy. But when you click on the word lightning there, they say it was way faster than lightning. It's just that lightning was the only words they could use for speed in how fast it was moving. In fact, the, um, the, the, the word electricity in Hebrew, anyone know the word? Chashmal is the term the prophet used. Which is amazing. That's the term used. And think about the word chashmal. Mal is from milah to speak. Chash means to be quiet. So it's, it's, it's current. It's, you know what I'm saying? It's circuit. Chashmal. Make up your mind. Chash or mal. It's chashmal. It's quiet speak. It's, uh, it's, it's having um, a charge or a, a conductor with a non-conductor and then a conductor just like the arc had gold on the inside, it was wood, gold on the outside, and then wood-covered gold staves that can never leave. It was an electrical conductor. Why do you think the Jews went out to war with it? We never fought a war without it. <laughs> it, was like, it sounds like the last thing I would want around a battlefield mm-hmm. is our holy ark. But they literally take it out from the, from the Holy of Holies and have it lead them in war. Can you imagine what kind of crazy experience that was going on out there and then the Jews would come back with like zero casualties and and by the way even then it was called the IDF it wasn't called the Israeli army it's called the army. it's very specific they called it that you realize that no. it's called the IDF for a very specific reason not it's not our army we don't have an army we have a defense force mm-hmm. because when you're protecting something when you're protecting something that is the absolute like nuclear kernel of why God created this whole place. You must defend it. You've got to defend it no matter what. You even have to, you even have to preempt. You know, that's in, in, in Jewish law, which is Torah law, regarding, regarding war, is if you have any sense someone's coming near, near the nucleus of the purpose of this creation, you have to preempt. You have to strike first. And the crazy thing is, if the Babylonians or the Romans or the Germans or anyone knew, if they had any idea what they were destroying, they would all just line around the temple, point their guns outwards, and join the defense. They didn't realize that they were, they're gaining, they're gaining, we, we're not doing it for us, Jews don't need this. We, we've got a connect, we've got the same connection everyone has. It was their connection they were severing. Jews aren't in this world for Jews. Jews are in the world for the Gentiles. We're called a light to the nations. Our whole job is the world, not us. 
and yet the world can't stand us because of whatever. I'm not going to go into that right now, but that would be a couple hours of class. They've got their own issues with us, but they, they should be protecting us. This is why Jews have to marry Jews. We can only marry people who are in Sinai. We're all complete reincarnations over and over again, coming down the line from Sinai. We've all had prophecy. Every Jew's had a full-on prophetic experience, which is like, again, it makes the plant medicine world look like vitamin C. You know, it makes <laughs> LSD look like vitamin C. You know, we're talking about prophecy and having been a nation of, you know, the only time in world history there was a national prophecy. Being the children of the national prophecy, so we, we're, we, we have to cohabitate to create children with people who are from the prophetic line. And it's not because we're special or anything. We just got a job to do. We got work to do. And and that's a very special, special job. And it has to come through our seed, through our, you know, the Jewish man and Jewish woman. Now, of course, Jewish women are are the are the stamp of, of the prophecy. It's not through men, it's through women. But we know that already. Why? Why it's through the Jewish woman that you create. It's only through Jewish women. That you can create a, a Jew. It's the feminine. It's the feminine. It's the receiver. We're talking about prophecy. Prophecy's got two, two entities here. You got, you know, whatever the charge is that obviously gets broken down the system, so that we don't all just go insane right now. Why are we down here? Why are we in this outer crust down here? Because you'd go crazy if you saw it. If you could see what the malachim are seeing, you would completely lose it forever. That's why the people who are on plant ceremony experiences, they're not getting anywhere near there because they never make it afterwards. But believe me, mag- navigating those realms are, you know, the shamans of these, of the jungles are, are heavyweights. <laughs> those dudes, they know what they're doing for sure. But, but again, they're navigating areas that are nowhere near we, anywhere we even got to yet. So the, it's coming down the coil, it's coming down the coil, coming down the coil. And then eventually... At the bottom of that area, it has another big crunch of another, it has to cross another border, which heads into a realm called Asiya. Now, we're at the very outer crust of Asiya. We're at the bottom of Asiya. And it comes down and down and down and down. I gave it wings. But it comes down and down and down and down and down. And then finally, at the last realm of Asiya, where anything can be vegetable, because there's lower, mineral goes further. So the last realm of Asiya, where anything can go vegetable. It goes down and down and down and down. And then finally it winds up here, 3D in our world. The 3D nature of it is thanks to, to the Berea world where the, notice everything's 3D here, which is super cool. It's 3D here. Asiya can't create 3D, nor can Yitzira. The only reason everything's 3D down here is because of Berea where everything's holographic. You understand? We're in the 3D realm because we're coming from a holographic. We're being beamed from a holographic realm called Berea. Anyway, the thing finally makes it to my hand. Hello. And now I got this thing. And meanwhile, this Malak's going, we're going that thing, brother. And I'm just like, I'm just holding it. And, and now the Malak's like going, do you, realize, do you realize what I've been through to get down here? Like... Till finally, boom, and then boom, hey, 
Tangerine. So that mouse watching me right now. That mouse going like, don't mess with that thing. Don't mess with that thing. You got one thing to do with that, and that's to raise it. You got to raise it up. You got to raise that baby up. Raise it back. Take me. This guy's just going like, this is E.T. phone home, okay? This is E.T. This is E.T. going like, you know, tangerine phone home, tangerine phone home. It's not happy about this. It just had a, what's called, in, in Hebrew and Kabbalah, it's called Yerida. It just had a major Yerida. Major Yerida. And now it's down here, and it's just like kind of waiting on like pins and needles going like, what's going to happen now? What's going to go on now? There better be, I mean, it's Israeli, so it better be tithe, separations for the priests, the Kohen, and the Levites and stuff. And it better be, you know, purchased properly. If it was stolen, it also goes to another place. Then it wants a blessing set on it. Baruch Atah. Then it's going into the digestion. Then it's going to be used with all of its minerals and vitamins and and uh, and uh, water for me to do mitzvahs with it. And when I go use it until it's finally assimilated into my whole body, which, in other words, it's going to become a Jew, ultimately it's going to become me. <laughs> you know, it's going from tangerine to Jew, which is a good reason to eat kosher meat. Because think of that chicken. That chicken's just like... It's not that much of a life. But it winds up eaten by a Jew. That chicken just got Jewish real quick. You know? And now it's like this Jew's walking around helping people, teaching wisdom, praying. Anyway, my, re- my, my teacher, I have a Rebbe, who's taught me everything I'm teaching you. So my Rebbe says that if you ever overeat, don't feel guilty. Just go use use it. Use it. You got a ton of... You're packed with malachim now. You're packed with malachim. Don't go to sleep. Go out there and, and get them. You got a ton of calories. Like, go go use it. And also, he said that... Uh, the Rebbe says that that uh, it puts a lot of responsibility on people who cook. Any of you cook. You got to make it tasty. Because why? It hits the taste buds. Taste buds shoot out the enzymes. Enzymes help break it down. Because you want as much of this becoming a Jew and as little of it heading to the toilet. So the more tasty, the more enzymes, the more I'll chew it. And this is the danger of white food. I feel bad for the angels of white, white, you know, processed white bread and stuff. Because you don't need to chew that stuff, white pasta. You swallow it, but then it doesn't really get digested. And it doesn't get where it needs to go. Um, just to tell you as a, something funny is my Rebbe, um, he, he, he was always eating, he stopped doing this because the doctor made him, he was always eating two, what was his diet? His diet was two slices of white bread a day. He doesn't eat much. Two slices of white bread. So eventually his body couldn't take it anymore. He's six foot four or five and he's got, his head's like bigger than a basketball. He's like this gigantic, you know, big payas and like E.T. eyes, speaking of E.T., giant eyes. And he's in meditation, uh, 22 hours a day. He only sleeps two hours a day, and he does them, and you wouldn't call that sleep, because he knows where the exit of dreams are. Did you know when you're dreaming, there's a door? You can go out and have full-on, full-on fact-finding. 
uh, with God. And that's what he does. He studies a lot of the day during his, he's really, it's meditative even when he's studying. And when he gets to a piece that's too complicated, that becomes the fact finder for that night. And he'll study on the edge of his bed, study over and over and over again. Get, he has a system. It's been passed down for thousands of years, but very few people know it. Anyway, you repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Even though you don't understand, you just get the words down. And then, and then he slowly lays down, goes in, when he hits R.E.M., finds the door, takes that piece of Torah. It's a piece of Torah. It might be a piece of Talmud. It might be a piece of Kabbalah. He takes it and opens it up. Fact-finding missions. That's his sleep. Anyway... You make a blessing, it becomes you. On Shabbat, ready for this? All of that raising the malach back up happens just with the taste buds. Back to the taste buds. Everything of raising up, <coughs> raising up the food is on the taste buds. Now, I want to scare you all just a little bit. Okay, I'm going to scare you all a little bit. What happens if it doesn't get treated right? What if it was stolen? Or what if it wasn't tithed? If this isn't tithed, I mean, if this was from fruit that didn't get separated out, a few of them for the priesthood, you know, the Kohanim, if it was not tithed, it's now kryptonite. It's now poison. It's spiritual, mess up your vibrational frequencies. That's what this can, this could easily be that. I mean, 99% chance it's not. And, um, and we will uh, tithe it by the way. We'll cut off a teeny piece of one section, but tithe it. But what if it's bought by a non-Jew? I mean, what if it's bought from a non-Jew? If the orchard was non-Jewish, then you're all set. Now, the uh, which is very interesting, but the, anyway, but let's say it was stolen, or let's say it wasn't tithed, or let's say I didn't make the blessing on it, or, or let's say I, I, let's say I didn't do mitzvahs with it. I took the energy and I went and like hurt somebody. So then what happens to the malach? What happens to this malach? So even though it just came down, this like, like incredible yurida, so what happens is the malach gets sent down to this totally other area. You know what area it gets sent to? It gets sent to a little deeper level than our crust down here. Okay, we're inside. We're inside the crust, so this will be the earth. That's our globe, and here's the, um, I'll put a sun there. I'm not a very special artist. Anyway, what happens, the malach gets put into this substrate here. There's a term for it in Hebrew, it's called Gehenna, and it gets locked into that realm called Gehenna, and it's, you ready for this? It stays there. The malach stays in this little kind of jail cell called Ganem for what could be centuries, centuries, in earth years. There's no time, obviously. Time's only down here. So it could be in there for, and even time's not here, as we spoke about. But it could be there for centuries of earth years, trapped. You know why? The reason why is because it needs you to come back in another incarnation and get it out. <laughs> no, it's great. 
I feel bad if that one's sorry. Just when someone offers you some tangerine, don't refuse. Because it could have waited for this moment. Mm. Yeah, you got to be careful what you diet. refuse around. You know, when someone says, uh, oh, would you like some of this? You're like, no, oh, thank you. And Moloch's like, God! <laughs> But but God's not cruel. God's gonna make sure you know that it, it'll probably wind up more in your. Do you sh- like this piece of cake? It'll probably wind up. I'll tell you by the way, it'll probably wind up more likely on a Shabbos table because then it goes up on a taste, just on taste, uh-huh. like on contact. Boom, <coughs> gets out. Now, this was like, where did this class come from? He's coming to like, I don't even know how many classes. This is this one's really cool. <laughs> I have a lot of material that I never never teach. I don't know why I'm teaching right now. Is there a halacha that you're supposed to like not refuse food? No. You're allowed to. Your bubby would say so. Yeah, you're <laughs> <laughs> What was the funny joke about a Jewish woman? She said, uh, um, it's just, I have two in my head, but the first one. I just had a situation where I was at a Jewish event and uh, and I was trying to find out whose other half a burger was on the table. I wanted this half a burger. And I'm not going to eat off someone else's germs, but if it was one of my eight kids running around, I meaning there was a high statistical chance this was one of my kids. So, <laughs> so I was just combing, I was combing the party with the burger, trying to find, it was on a plate, and I was like, you know, this is this. Every single guy I asked said, I don't know, and every single woman I asked said, eat it. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. Because you were there. Like, you wanted I, it. All I was at, but I, I was just saying, like, yeah, she's like, but you wanted it. I was like, I was asking what's the facts, you know, whose burger is this? And every guy was like, I don't know. You're like, anyway, so I finally get in the kitchen, and I ask in the kitchen, there was my mother-in-law, my <laughs> wife, and a couple other women, I'm like, I asked them, like, does anyone know whose burger this is in unison? They all just say, eat it. Oh, my scary. <laughs> and so I told them the story that I just went through the whole party, and every guy said, so it was like a tremendous study. <laughs> And then, so my mother-in-law says, no, that's just because everyone's Jewish. And then, I, and then we all look at each other like, except for Anne. Someone married a girl named Anne. Okay, Anne? She ain't Jewish. So what was her response? Yeah, so we all, so I said, let, she was like down, she was like down in this like grass area playing with like, she was kind of keeping an eye on all the kids and stuff. So we went out, and the, all the ladies in the kitchen followed me. We're like, <laughs> you know, everyone had like their pencils out. This is a total scientific experiment. What was the answer? It was like drum roll, and I go up to Anne, and I'm like, Anne, do you know whose burger this is? And she says, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> it's in her dreams. It's crazy, right? So. Anyway, so apparently it's Jewish. Now, I didn't do, like, serious scientific research. I mean, I didn't grab a bunch of Italian women. You know, they likely would have said eat it, too, I think. But Anne's not from Italy. Okay. Now, I know this is, like, the longest class ever. I hope you guys are enjoying yourselves. What was the point of that story? I don't know. Okay, guys, let me just finish up. The tangerine. So the tangerine goes to Gehenna, and it, it hangs out in Gehenna till you get it out. you got to get it out. Now, i got good news for y'all. Guess what? You don't have to, like, die and come back 400 years to get poor, you know, 
import its tangerine mala out of Gehenna, you can do it while you're alive. You can actually get, you can get not only him out, you can get everything out. Because haven't we all made a lot of mistakes in life? And haven't we all, like, been involved in physical things in this world that were not, you know, that got locked, probably got locked in? So there's all kinds of stuff we've done that's locked in. And by the way, it's scary to know that if you do something that's locked in, i.e. it's one of the 365 negative commandments, thou shalt not, and you did it, so not only does it get locked down, but your own frequencies start getting locked down. It can affect your frequencies strongly. And I happen to know this for a fact in... Uh, in doing certain spiritual work with people who have had uh, had an overabundance of locked in behavior and locking down locking down malachim, and I've, I've had some firsthand experience of people who have their frequencies heavily squelched. So, in other words, don't wait till you get reincarnated. You can get it out now. And how do you get it out now? The way you get it out now is you just got to own it with four steps. You, you got to do four steps, and you can get poor little squiggly out from Gehenna. And the way you do it is these four steps. Is you stop, say, regret, and commit. This part, try to cry. Like strap, drop, and roll. Yes. Here you want to cry. This is uh, Shiva? Yeah. Yeah. Stop, say, regret, commit. So stop. You didn't stop messing up the world. Say is you have to is remember the two thirty one the letters. So you got to you got to send out vocals, vocal cords. No one has to hear. It. In fact, better no one does hear. It. You just got to make the sounds, and and you can whisper, but as long as you hear, it, it has to hit the world of letters. So yeah, it's really freaky. That takes that awareness way. though, because we don't even know what we're. Half the things to, to do. I've got a, I've got one for that too. You all, you add, and by the way, all the other things I forgot about. Okay, and then regret is. I'll give you the definition. Of regret. Those who are taking notes is had I known before, had I known then what I know now, I would never have done it. But it's good to cry a little. If I'd known before what I know now, I would never have done that. That's regret. And then the last is to commit is say like. Going forward, you know, that's not going to be part of the program here. I commit to not going forward with that. And then what happens is he just goes like, he just, this tangerine just goes like, all the way back to oneness and then poof, poof, back into the oneness. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all we're doing for today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.